brand new podcast. Hey, Leanne, bring out the new cup. Oh, okay. All right, I'll see you in a second. Brand new podcast, everybody. My wife's bringing out new merch. We got new merch in the merch store at burtburtburt.com. Take a look. Whiskey cock lock dog. Whiskey cock lock dog. Whiskey cock lock dog. I love this fucking shirt. This is such great cotton. And we have replaced the old bullshitty Burtcast shirt with a new bullshitty Burtcast shirt. Can you even hear me? This is great. Oh, but more importantly, these are my favorite things in the world. I make these for me because I have them around my house, but we also sell them. How many, what do we sell them? Do you know? Uh, four for 15 bucks. Four for 15 bucks. Whiskey cock glock dog. This is a 32 ounce fantastic cup to pour a Tito's and soda or a Buffalo Trace whiskey in. Nice little Buffalo Trace with some just Buffalo Trace and just lots of ice and a summer splash of lime, a little soda water. Ooh. Ooh, maybe some Wheatley vodka. By the way, I'm not, they're a sponsor of the podcast. They're a sponsor of the podcast today. Is that Wheatley over there? Let me see Wheatley. This is a brand new vodka. You'll hear a read for it later in the episode, but I got to give a shout out. This is from um, Buffalo Trace also makes this vodka, and they sent this to me. I'll be drinking this this weekend in a brand new cup. Go to burperbert.com for the cup. Go to buffalotrace.com. They're not doing tours right now because of COVID, but they're doing virtual tours. You'll hear that in the read later. This isn't a read for Buffalo Trace right now. You'll hear one later. Although, though, notice Buffalo Trace all over the background, kid. I'm so excited about that sponsorship. I want to thank all my sponsors. Um, this podcast is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on your performance of your sleep, how your body's recovering, and how much stress you put on your body throughout a day from your workouts and normal just stressors in your life. It's one of the best fitness trackers. Let me rephrase that. It is the best fitness tracker I've ever used in my entire life. And ladies and gentlemen, I have used all of them. And right now, May, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. In the current situation we're in with the quarantine, it could not be more important to be monitoring the stresses being put on our bodies and how we recovered on a day-to-day basis as our routines change. What's great with Whoop is that every day when you get up, and by the way, if you're like me and you're obsessive, the second you get up, you get a recovery score based on your HRV, resting heart rate, and sleep performance that can be used as indicators on how to approach your day. It really is next level. The Whoop app even has a built-in feature like the Strain Coach, which I'm using aggressively because Stevo started using Whoop, and he texted me his strain, and his strain destroyed my strain, and now I have strain envy. The Strain Coach gives you a targeted exertion goal for your workout, optimally for the level of intensity your body is signaling that it can handle. If you're stuck training at home, this is literally the perfect feature to use. And based on how strenuous your day is, the app has a built-in sleep coach, which I didn't realize until right now, as I said that, I should be doing my sleep coach at night and see how I'm sleeping because it actually lets you know how much sleep you should be getting so you can wake up and be recovered based on your performance goals, which you can set. For my listeners, right now, Whoop is offering 15% off with the code BERT at checkout. Go to Whoop. That's W-H-O-O-P. You will become obsessed. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com, and enter the code BERT at checkout to save 15% off. You will sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance like I am with Whoop. This episode is brought to you by Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore adam and eve says the best part of staying at home is playing at home this place has literally 
everything. If you were like me and you grew up where the internet wasn't big and adult superstore toy stores were like places you had to park and walk in, you just didn't do it. You literally didn't do it. Now with the internet, you can go and you can explore everything and you can have it discreetly shipped to your house. Take advantage of your downtime and choose from almost any one item and get 50% off at adamandeve.com with my code BIRTH. They've got couples, toy couples. They've got toys just for men, toys obviously for women, all different kinds of lubes, lotions, lingeries. I got some for lingeries for Leanne one time and brought them back. And they didn't really work out perfectly. I should get them now. She's all, Leanne's also like 20 pounds. I should get her. I should go to Adam and Eve and get them now. I got them for her then. We got a hotel room and she put them on and they didn't fit perfectly. And all we did was just laugh hysterically. And by the way, had sex. But the most important part of that is we just remember laughing together. When you go, you're going to get also 10 free boredom busting gifts, including six spicy movies, a three-piece bonus kit, and best of all, Free shipping delivered discreetly right to your door. And that is discreetly. I got Leanne this. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say what it is. But it was. Del- <laughs> I got it for when I was on the road. I thought I would just take care of her as a husband. And uh, it got sent here. And it was shipped so discreetly to our door that our daughter got it for us. Opened it and said, Mom, I think Dad got something for your eyebrows. Anyway, just remember, use the offer code BERT. That is BERT at checkout for this amazing deal. Adam and Eve has thousands of products to make you glad you're staying at home. Sex toys make being at home so enjoyable. In fact, shopping from home is more enjoyable when you're shopping for sex toys. I'll definitely agree with that. So go to adamandeve.com and use the offer code BERT to get 50% off just about any item, plus 10 free gifts. Use the code BERT at checkout and enjoy yourself. Thank you to all my sponsors. Once again, new Burkhouse shirt, new Whiskey Cock Lock Dog, new cup. And what else do we have in there? Oh, we still have posters. Uh, we have everything at burtburtburt.com. No tour dates as of yet, but man, I am planning something. I'm planning something for the very new future, near future. And if it comes out, come over here and say hi, babe. You want to give some of the antics? I'm only eating what Leanne's eating today. And uh, it's been fucking insane. I'm like freaking out. Look how many sodas I've drank. You, you just, I'm not shredded. I don't, I feel like I feel fat as fuck. Well, soda's not on the diet. Soda water, soda waters. I just threw away like a bunch of stuff. Like uh, soda water. Soda That's waters. Not on my diet either. I can't have soda waters. One, maybe. But I how like many six. Do you have like six. No, no. I have a drinking problem. You have some kind of problem. I had two diet root beers. I'm having another one in a little bit. You got, you got bigger problems than that. I love you. I love you. Uh, I've been running like fucking crazy. I ran 10 miles today. Uh, um, my buddy, Zach Bitter, ran 100 miles in under 12 hours the other day on a treadmill. It was insane. If you want to go see that video, type in Zach Bitter 100 miles. You're going to find a couple of them. But uh, you'll see it. And I, I've zoomed in, and uh, I was on the Zoom call with uh, – I want to give them shout-outs because we're all texting back and forth now. Uh, Sally McRae, Maggie Goodery, Goodery, I think I'm saying her name, Maddie Goodery, uh, Courtney Hushabrenton has been frozen. I forgot her her last name. Uh, and, uh, Nicole Bitter. And it was awesome. It was really awesome. It was fun. It was, we had a good time. So check that out. It's a zoom, but you can, and it's him running, but then he has elite athletes come on like myself and those ladies. 
Uh, I've been watching them. I watched Sally McRae run some race through uh, through Switzerland, Italy, I think Austria. It was like this crazy race through three countries, all through the Alps. It looks amazing. I wish I, I'm training. I'm trying to run a thousand miles this year. I am at. I think. I'm. I think I'm over somewhere over 400, but not by much. I don't know by how much. I've run about 270 since I've been in quarantine. Uh, drinking is going good. I stopped kind of counting, but I'm like at probably 60 some days not boozing. But I don't really count anymore. I don't give a fuck. It was interesting when it was one or two, and then I just don't care anymore. So I'm like, I want to just, I would love to be able to party on weekends like regular people. And I think that's what you do when you have a regular life. My life is just different. My brain is different. I've only taken like five hot showers, like meaning indoors, like meaning full soap and, and like shampoo. I shower outdoors a lot. And I today I was, calling them hot showers and my daughter goes dad they're showers i was like no 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 i take hot showers hot showers are inside when you like like you really clean yourself i take outdoor showers i have an outdoor shower by the pool i get in the pool and then i take an outdoor shower i have soap and shampoo out there and i soap and shampoo i clean off but for some reason it wakes me up better i don't know I, my brain is not perfect i really started thinking maybe i'm crazy like the way i see the world or what makes me comfortable is not what makes everyone else comfortable Like, I don't like, I, I have always had problems brushing my teeth, like meaning it, the taste of certain toothpastes creep me the fuck out. Like, I can't believe we chose those flavors. I don't know what is wrong with me. I love more than anything. And I do it probably twice a day using a water pick with, uh, with um, mouthwash in it. By the way, it's not as strong when you use mouthwash, but that's one of the things I love. And then I brush my teeth, of course. Um, thank God for not a sponsor of the podcast right now, but um, Crypt's toothpaste tastes amazing. It's the only toothpaste I can use. I got to order more, by the way. Anyway, I hope your quarantine's going good. I hope you're enjoying all the content I'm putting out. I hope I'm not overwhelming you. I feel like I'm overwhelming myself right now. I feel like I'm talking really fast. Wait till you hear my reads. Um, I'm going to take a shit after this. Didn't need to know that. Today's podcast is with Ben Schwartz. Ben Schwartz is someone... I got a kick out of a very long time. He was on this thing, Jake and Amir. It was at collegehumor.com. I don't know how I stumbled on it. All I know is that Ben Schwartz's character on Jake and Amir had me laughing so fucking hard. It was, at a, I don't know why. It just had me laughing so fucking hard. Then I saw him on Parks and Rec, much later, much later. And his character on Parks and Rec is even better. Just so fucking good. He is so talented. I'm not even joking. Probably one of the, probably one of the, like my top 10 favorite. And we're talking about Kate McKinnon's in there of like improv actors who just make me giggle. Kate McKinnon is fucking a monster. We all know that. And I don't know if everyone knows Ben Schwartz as well as I'm familiar with his work right now. And if you're not, you have to. Him and Thomas Middleditch have a improv special. It's a three-parter, I think, on Netflix. I'm not, I don't think I know that. It's three different parts you can watch. I watched it with Isla and she was blown away. She was like, wait, they're making all this up. It is all improv on the spot. It is absolutely awesome. You have to check it out. He is in a new show called Space Force with Steve Carell that is going to be a huge hit. It is, I think it's a series, but it's going to be a huge hit. Literally the head of Space Force now, the real one that works for the United States government, was talking about this show and how similar the two are or something. I don't know. Anyway, all I know, and I hand to God, all I know 
is that whatever the fuck Ben Schwartz is in, I am watching. That kid makes me giggle so fucking hard. And then right now, in times like this, dudes like that are so important. We have a great conversation. I don't really remember what we talk about much. Um, we did this conversation a while ago, but uh, but I know you're going to enjoy it. I know you're going to enjoy it. Give him a follow on Instagram. Give him a follow on Twitter. He does podcasts every now and then, again, with Scott Aukerman, where it's pretty much improv. His improv is spot on. If you want to really go down a rabbit hole, go find Jake and Amir with Ben Schwartz and watch the one. By the way, I got this is how bad I, I watched the one, the one song where they talk about uh, he sucked my dick. It's the fu- I, I listened to the goddamn song. I, they got the song stuck in my head. It's he is fucking amazing. You're gonna love him. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Check out him and Thomas Middleditch's uh, special. Is their improv special? Middleditch and Schwartz, ladies and gentlemen. Without further ado, Ben Schwartz. This is I uh, I got to start this off and say you are the funniest motherfucker alive. Right off, I'm not even I'm not even fucking around, man. You have been making me laugh. I first off, I I went on a binge today uh, of of you online. You've been making me laugh so hard. I have so much I want to talk to you about. You're someone. You're you're someone who I'm like so curious about your process. About but first of all, congratulations on the Netflix special. Thank you, Bert. I, I appreciate it, with, it. I watched it with Isla last night, my youngest. How old is your youngest? My youngest is 13. Oh, how was it? I'm always wondering how people who are a little bit younger, how does how did she, uh, how did she, she like doesn't, it? She doesn't understand the concept because she lives in my world, really. So right. she didn't really understand the concept of improv. <laughs> she was like, wait, why? But I get she, it. She thought it was crowd work because like, she is legit a stand-ups kid, you know? Right, so right. She thought it was crowd work. She, first thing she wanted to know is how they had audio on those people. She was like, Oh, she wanted to know the technical aspects of how this worked. I was like, I was like, God damn it. You are my child. Cause I, I am, I am obsessed with, uh, I did, uh, before I, st- be- not before, but during, in my career at one point, I worked for travel channel for a while. So mm-hmm. I used to pick apart, uh, shitty, uh, uh, reality shows like bar rescue where the guys would come in and they'd have my dad loves bar rescue explain no more anything that's on one of those reality shows my dad is obsessed with like uh anytime you like build a sword he's fucking in anytime you like he loves that stuff building cars you, and swords my favorite show right now is and and by the way it shifted me i was not i was i met aziz a long time ago uh when he was younger and doing just stand-up i don't even know if he was on parks and rec yet Mm-hmm. And he wasn't the he wasn't the sweetest guy. Me and Tom, a, fr- a friend of mine, Tom Zagura, met him, and he was just very standoffish. And so, was he shy? Uh, I'm sure he was. In right. retrospect, I'm certain he was. I'm, I'm I, you forget how loud you are as a human when you're my like someone like me, and and how sometimes that just certain people are like I have no interest in competing for airtime, and so this guy's all over the fucking place and he's drunk. So, but uh. I'm obsessed with this fucking show, Ugly Delicious. Have you seen that? Oh, on that yeah, place? it's fantastic. It's lovely. It's great. And they met Aziz's family. They brought, they did one where they went into Aziz's family. I'm like, I fucking fell in love with Aziz. I'm like sitting there going. Did they go to South Carolina or North Carolina? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his, his mom, Patma is her name. She was making uh, food for her, her, him, his brother, 
his brother's name is uh, 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 Anise. right. And um, they were eating with their fingers, and David Chang had never really eaten with his fingers. It was such a fucking great show. I can't wait. There's a Favreau show also called uh, The Chef Show or something like that, and he just, like, makes food with his friends and whatever. And I remember uh, when it came out, I was – I was, I never work out. So take this as a story, but I was working out somewhere in a hotel and I was watching a show about people eating like delicious food. And it made me so happy for some reason, that type of stuff just like unplugs your brain for a second. You just get to like enjoy stuff. Wait, yeah. can I say something nice about you? Cause you seem like you're about to go on a beautiful little rant, which is great. Please. I love that. Um, I, we've only probably met in person once or twice. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, the time I remember and tell me we did a uh, Doug loves movies together. And I had known you a little bit, not as a human being, just known whatever. And you were, and this must be, uh, this must be just who, who you are. You were so nice to me and so kind. And so like, in, I wanted to like involve each other in bits. And it was like, sometimes when you, when you, uh, when like an improviser hangs out with standup, you could see that the standup kind of wants to just look out for themselves or whatever and whatever. But like th- this was, it was so, you were just so kind and loving and like wanted to do bits and wanted to be a part. And like, I fucking loved it. And then I remember being like, Oh, this guy's great. And then, and then uh, now that we're doing this thing with Netflix, I looked at, you know, like we want to see like, you know, pieces from other Netflix shows to see like how we can learn. And everybody at Netflix is like, get a try. Everybody loves you there. And you've just blown up and they talk about how you're, it just made me so happy because you came up, you came to me who you didn't really know. And I, I can't help you with anything. You're just a nice person being like uh, very kind and loving and supportive of me uh, just in that moment. And it made me so happy to see how well you're doing. And then I looked at this fucking podcast and how well it's doing. And uh, it just made me very happy that you're a kind. My dad always, my dad always has this thing where he wants to know the people that I work with, if they're nice or not, because he wants to root for them and not find out later that he shouldn't be. He does it all the time. I did a movie with Billy Crystal. He's like, come on, this is a big one, man. If he's not nice, I'm fucked. I've liked him for a long time. And I'm like, he's been amazing. And he's like, okay, good, good. I'm going to keep rooting for him. But um, that's why I want to talk, talk, talk about that movie with Billy Crystal because I'm fascinated by that. I, w- I want to start. I want to start. I want to talk about improv because I do love improv, and I think I think naturally that would have been my fit if had I not. I didn't say I didn't. I didn't come at it. I didn't come at this business with like any game plan. I just mm-hmm. was like, oh, I know you can be a stand-up comedian, and so then that was it. I didn't know you. I didn't know that. You, you, I didn't even know people could become actors. I, like, I knew that they were actors, but I thought that was for theater kids. I didn't know that stand-ups would be actors. I didn't know stand-ups right. would be writers. You could just do stand-up. And then I met this guy, Brad Sherwood, and he explained improv to me, and I was like, oh, I think I would have liked improv a lot more than I would have liked stand-up. <laughs> when, did you, when did you start doing improv? I did. Uh, so I started improv in junior college. So it would have been 2002, and I was too nervous to audition for the team because I was like the guy that my friends would say you're funny, but then to audition for people who were like considered funny and like in the improv troupe, I was too afraid to do it. And then, and then find out that I wasn't like with the people that were really funny told me that I, w- I would be terrified by it. So I never auditioned. I had a girlfriend at the time that pushed me to do it. I auditioned. It was the most nervous I'd ever been. And I got on the team and slowly started making people laugh and started gaining confidence, which, you know, on stage for any of this is half the game. If you can be on stage and be confident and get your voice across, it's like half of it. So I started in 2002, then went to UCB in Chelsea in New York, and then came here, did the UCB here. Um, but it kind of started there. But I started as, so I used to freelance jokes for Letterman's monologue. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to talk. Wait, hold on. Oh, Hang go. on one second. This Hang is going to be great. I have no, all, I'm I like, cleared, I'm like, I cleared my afternoon for this, Bert. I was by like, way, I'm like, I'm so like there's like nine different 
I, like just from, from an artistic viewpoint, I want to talk about, but like, there's so many things about how you work. I, I, I want to also get to like a, like, um, just like a setting of how your day looks. Cause I know you're one of the busiest motherfuckers in the world, hmm. but so, so then what was it that drew you into, into improv? Were you naturally yeah. like, so I, I, quick I on your the, feet? I, yeah, I was always pretty quick. Um, and I could play with those. It was just short form at the beginning, which by the way, growing up, I loved whose line is it anyway, but we yeah. do now is very different than that. And I'm sure those guys could do it as well, but, uh, sure. It was, it was that back then it was like little games and I really love making people laugh. But by the way, when I graduated college, I tried stand up and I tried improv at the same time to see like, cause I, I came out of college. I had a psychology anthropology degree, uh, which I didn't know what I was going to do. I talked to my parents who were fucking from the South Bronx. And when they had enough money, we moved to the, the, the top of the Bronx. And they worked very, very hard to, you know, help. I was always in public schools. And then like, they were- Only child? No, I had a sister who's a therapist now and like saving the world while I go off and make fucking alien jokes on stage. <laughs> um, but I did both at the same time. And I asked my parents, I'm very fortunate. We were middle class. And I asked my parents, I was like, I really want to try to do comedy. And my, my mom and dad are like, we'll give you two years. We'll help you with rent for, rent for a year or so. And we'll give you two years. So I, the, the work ethic that you're talking about and me, it started then. I was like, I will try everything to be in this. So I wrote articles for magazines. I did anything I could to make money and also to try to get it. Because I was like, I'm going to give myself two years to try to do this um, and, and you know, see what happens. So, so, um, so then when, when did you start your, because your, your Instagram is rejected jokes. Yeah. So that started because I did. So I, I, I became a page for Letterman and it's a fun story, but I'll make it really short because it's too long, but no, you can make it, you can make it as long as one. And if you trash the Stengels, it's even better. Do you not like the Stengels? Oh, I love the Stengels. Oh, <laughs> they had a meeting with me once. And I remember Justin in the, so it started with, um, I graduated college. My parents said I had these two years. I was starting UCB, right? I was taking classes. Oh, just to get this quick thing. I did stand up and I did improv and I did well enough in stand up the first two times where they let me come without bringing people. And I fucking bombed. I, <laughs> and it was gut wrenching bomb. Like when you're an improv, you bomb for years, you know, you don't do well for years, but when you're an improv, I can look at all the people around me and we can be like, Oh my God, man, when you bomb and stand up, it is like, so it like I it hurt. I apologize to the audience during it. Oh. This is like 2003. I had no. St- I didn't know what I was doing on stage. I just wrote jokes. Um, and so I, when that was happening during improv, I was really connecting with it because I love sketch comedy and love improv. So like I was like, all right, I kind of have to pick which one I want to do. So I picked improv and sketch because I loved UCB and I love that stuff. And um, when I failed in that, when I failed in stand up, it felt like man. I mean, at the beginning, especially because everything feels like a hundred times the amount of what it is. Yeah. Now that I'm older, when you have a show that's not as good, it's part of the game. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's why I chose uh, improv instead of stand-up. But at the same time, so I was, I went from uh, college, those, that improv group, and I did one play, never acted in my life, but to try to raise my GPA, because all the football players to raise their GPA, they would take an acting class. So I took the same acting class to try to get cum loud, because uh, I was like, oh, I want that fucking thing around my neck when I graduate. I'm a little bit of a nerd. So I took an <laughs> acting class. They, they watch them called they, um, I got an A in it cause everybody gets an A in it. You just, whatever. And then they made me audition for the play. And when I auditioned for the play, I got, I got one of the roles and that was the first time I had to memorize stuff. It was terrifying. So I graduated college and tell me interject anytime it feels boring. Okay. No. Okay. Uh, I got a, uh, I was like, all right, I got to find a job. And in my tiny little head, I was like, what entertainment places hire kids? So I, I said MTV. So I went with my friend, I dressed in a shirt and a tie, a jacket and a tie. 
And my dad, I don't know if uh, a family member of yours had this, but like my dad had like fancy paper for resumes, like not the normal shitty paper, but like a little bit more brown and like feeling. Yeah. A little so, like, rough piece. It's got, it's got nice ink indents. Where that's the- exactly <laughs> correct. So I, I printed Wait, my- I got one. Hold on. I have one right here. I have one. Literally, my dad got this. There's jokes all over it. But my dad got me these these buck slips. Gorgeous. It says at the bottom, this is his reminder for me in this business. Don't be an asshole, Inc. I love it. Incredible. So I I took 20 of those and I brought I printed out my resume, which at the time was I worked at a summer camp. I worked at Athletes Foot, which is a sneaker store. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? And I did improv, whatever. And so I had that in back here, but my dad made it sound like it was, I was like, whatever. I knew what I was doing. Uh, and I had 20 of them there. And then I, me and my friend, I think it was Nick Gibbons. Um, we went to MTV and I fucking snuck my way in by going to the security guard and saying, um, I had an, inter- an uh, internship interview with Viacom and I'm late and I don't know how to get there because Viacom owns them and has a floor there. Yeah. And they, they got me on the elevator. And then there was a janitor there who spoke Spanish. And I spoke Spanish with him and said in Spanish, I'm on the wrong floor. I'm supposed to be in MTV. Which floor is MTV on? And he unlocked the stairway. Brilliant. Me and my friend go to, again, we're wearing suits. So we look like we're supposed to be there. And shirts and ties. Brilliant, and, by the way. Uh, and so we go down there. Um, and in, in the back of this woman was a, a dollar bill with George Washington going like, so I was like, oh, we're in fucking MTV. We nailed it. <laughs> and I go to her and I'm like, um, hey, I'm here to drop off a resume for the, <laughs> for the internship. She goes, you're on the wrong floor. And I go, well, this is MTV, right? She goes, this is the president's office. And I go, well, surely he can get me a job. And she <laughs>, laughs. She goes, okay, go, on the, go to the basement. Uh, go, she tells me what floor to go to. Me and my friend Nick. We, she then unlocks the elevator so we legally can get down now. So it's like, it's like we belong now. Yeah. She gets us down there. I hand my resume to a person at a desk who she told me to. You, the person takes my resume, opens up a big file cabinet, and you could see thousands of resumes. And they just threw it on top of – and I, they never called me or whatever. So me and my friend are fucking bummed walking down. We passed by Letterman, uh, Letterman's you know, show. Uh, yeah. And because we were dressed nice, I found out later, sometimes when they're light on audience, they try to find people that are dressed nice and put them in the audience from outside. So they go, do you want to come to the, do you want to come to the show? I was like, oh my God, yes. So I'm waiting online to get tickets, me and my friend Nick. And when we're there, people are cheering up the audience, like in the line, wait, just telling people where the bathroom is. And I was like, man, I would love to do what you do. Cause I, my, my family was a Letterman family. You know what I mean? Oh my, I was, uh, by the way, by the way, hold on my, uh, uh, there's my Letterman appearance. I have it. I have that too. And, and I am, I'm a uh, Letterman's my guy. Letterman's my guy. Wait, can no. I burn? Wait, keep talking. I'm gonna get that. I cannot wait to show you. I've never shown anybody. I saved it because I'm a yeah. little nerd. Oh yeah, I'm 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 a hardcore Letterman guy, like without a fucking doubt. I have a feeling his earpieces oh, are. Sorry, sorry, That's- sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Okay, now I got you again. Sorry. So literally, the sa- the same exact thing. When I got to be on Letterman, I kept the cue card. Yeah. And, and, and I kept the cue card for my first joke I ever got on Letterman. I got Tony Mendez to give me the cue card for it. Oh, that's fucking great. And by the way, I noticed in the background of this that they covered up a joke. This is, you know, like yeah. 20 years. I don't even know how many years ago. It's a, there's a goddamn Donald Trump joke behind this. Are you serious? Yeah, I, I haven't that's read it because I don't want to rip it off to, to ruin mine. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, to ruin yours. <laughs> um, regardless. Yeah, the, one of the, the best compliment 
I've ever gotten in my career. And I, and I, I'm, I'm going to play this at my funeral. Uh, it's going to play, uh, Mike Binder and Bill Burr were speed enough to get this to me. Letterman was, is they're doing a documentary about the comedy store and let, they were interviewing Letterman. He said, you know, comedy has gotten so much bigger than just Carson. He goes, the hour special is so important. He goes, I was watching this guy the other day and he rips his shirt off and Mike Binder goes, Bert Kreischer. And he goes, yeah, Bert. And, and he goes, what's amazing is he rips his shirt off and, and he doesn't really mention it. And then 30 minutes in, you realize this is a, an amazing comedian. And he is, and, and I'm like chill, but I'm like oh, falling apart. I have it on my phone. I play it for myself. I, I, it's, they send it to me. I sent it to my dad within, within 30 seconds of it starting and him complimenting me. I sent it to my dad. My dad called me immediately. He goes, he's, is he talking about you? I go, yeah, he says my name, dad. And he goes, no, but how would Letterman, I mean, why, how would he know? And I go, I have no idea either, dad. It's the great, yeah, we've, to, That's so I say we were Letterman. Oh, that's, that's a great story. So, that, so I, I go there and I'm like, I would love to do what you guys do. And he goes, uh, and, and those people are like, yeah, you, you would have to talk to this guy. And I go to that guy. And of course, probably a billion people ask him. And he goes, yeah, I can't really help you unless you have a resume. So I go in my backpack oh, and I take shit. out all 20 resumes and I go, well, bosh. And he laughs and he goes, okay, I'll have an interview with you next week, whatever. And so I had an interview and that's how it became a page. And that page after I worked there for like a year, I asked if I could freelance jokes. They let me freelance two or three. And then I started to get jokes on. Then I was allowed to freelance as many. So I wrote 20 jokes a day, every day at 6 a.m. for a year and a half every morning. And then like, that's how I got my like uh, joke writer brain going. And that's kind of like, I, and that work ethic started then where it's like, I think it was 15 jokes. I would fill up the page no matter what, even if they were terrible, I forced myself yeah. to go online, find setups because you have to find the setups that you make fun of. And then find a way to make fun of them in a way that you think Letterman would make fun of them. And I did that every day for a year and a half. And I did it for Weekend Update for a year. That's, it really is, you know, you remind me of, and I hope you take this as a compliment because I think he's a real brilliant mind. Adolf Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You took it right out of <laughs> Christ. Uh, Dimitri Martin. Oh, yeah. He's brilliant. Yeah. And, but Dimitri is a lot like you in like, in like, I, I, I would say I'm, I would say I'm probably 90. I was actually thinking of this today that I was like, I'm 97% artist, 3% businessman. Mm -hmm. And I think people would argue that the other way around. They'd say, Bert, you, I'm definitely concerned about business, but for the most part, I got into this because I like partying and I like to have a good time. And Dimitri and yourself, it's like, it's not that much of a shift. It's probably 95% an artist, 5% businessman. But man, that 3%, when, you, when, when you're in the business, that 3% makes a fucking difference. But I also think that you're probably not, you can't see it because you're too close to it. You have a podcast, you have a series of different specials. You, you cannot do, I always thought, because at UCB, I'm surrounded by very funny people always. You know, people that are funnier than me, but it's just a matter of maybe I worked a little harder. Maybe I just did, maybe I pushed like that business stuff that same with you, man. You're fucking hilarious, but there's no way you get specials. There's no way you tour the way you do. There's no way you have your own uh, burp cast, if you will, unless you hustle yourself. Nobody's yeah, looking out for you except I, for yourself. I, I, it must be that way, but I, but I just look at like, I look at someone like you and I go, God, I wish I had more of that. Or I look at Dimitri and I go, I wish I had more of that. Like a real, like, it's not even business. It's just like a, like a work ethic where you go, you know, like let, like, 
I'll tell a perfect example. Uh, Jake and Amir, right? Yeah. Fucking. You know about Jake and Amir? I, dude, I. First of all, I. They're going to flip college, out. So college humor was. I remember being aware of it when it was when it was like like there was the internet wasn't what it is today in 2013. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. just in 2013, it wasn't where we are today. Like Mm -hmm. I I really feel like podcasting has only been popular for nine years. So like I I had seen Jake and Amir, that fucking guy. I don't. By the way, I'm horrible with names, but the guy who plays Amir, Amir Blumenfeld, yeah. yeah. I've seen that guy so much. It's just he's got a very recognizable face. Sure. And so uh, I went on today and just like refreshing myself. And I was fucking dying laughing. They're brilliant, man. They're both but, brilliant. But you and that are so like I was wondering how, how much do you prepare when you go in to do something like that or something uh, like 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 the character you did on Parks and Rec? Like mm-hmm. how much do you prepare? How much do you like are you in the shower doing the character in your head? Are you like no, just no. going like the, 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 the fight or flight is what gets me there or what for, for, okay. So for Jake and Amir, cause it's, I, I we're talking about the beginning of career stuff, which I think is always good for people who are listening to comedy podcasts. Well, it's, it's so interesting because yeah. it allowed you, you, I believe, and I, by the way, please correct me, but it allowed you to really develop a voice in front of camera and find out how to be funny in front of camera. It's exactly so hard. And one of the difficult. biggest things when we were doing shows with hot sauce, which is Adam Pally and Gil Ozeri, uh, Gil Ozeri being the funniest person I've ever met in my life. Adam Pally was incredibly funny as well. We would do shows and I started to realize that no matter what I did, the most pe- anybody would see me was a hundred people at UCB Chelsea and nobody was finding out about us and, or me, you know, that's why I started rejectedjokes.com to start making videos. Uh, and also, uh, you know, just to kind of like start, I-, I was like, I'm freelancing these jokes and almost none of them get on. What if I took the ones that were rejected and made my, that's how rejectedjokes.com started. Yeah. Um, so for me, I was making my own short films and I loved college humor at the time. And uh, I was friends with Sarah Schneider, who was doing a lot of stuff there, who ended up being a head writer for SNL and now writes the other two. She's brilliant. Um, but so she introduced me to a couple people. We did a couple sketches. And you're right. In improv, you get your voice kind of like on stage learning. Same with the stand-up. You kind of, you have to fail. The thing I always tell people is like, you have to take a risk. You have to fail. You have to learn. You have to repeat. And you just keep trying to, and you're going to start to learn like where you live in this world and find the stuff that feels good and that you like doing. Da, da, da. So for Jake and Amir, I would prepare almost nothing. Sometimes we would barely have a script. The three of us would write it beforehand or we'd write it the hour before we filmed. And I just improvise a little bit. Um, but like high times editorial office, there was a script and I just, you just start learning what the stuff I was doing on improv, how I can, kind of create characters in that world. So Jake and Amir was literally like, and it's funny you bring up uh, Parks because John Ralphio was the same way. When I used to do John Ralphio, it was like playtime. It didn't feel, I never like, it was just fucking playtime. All your friends were there. It's time to go nuts, have fun, just be funny. Like try to be funny. Um, you know, and then the more you do it, the more roles you do that, you know, you have to be dramatic and da, da, da. But that stuff was like, man, it was so fun. So there'd be very little preparation. John Ralphio, the preparation would be make sure you know the lines because there's so many funny people. You don't want to be the reason why a scene stops. So, I when, so when you did when you did the say the because you correct me if I'm wrong, but you had a part in helping create the character. No. So what happened uh, is, do you know? Remember Harris Whittles? Yeah. Okay. Good. Who's a? He's who's got a, one of my favorite jokes ever. What is it? Uh, the joke about uh, um, 
God damn it! About it's, I think it's about anal sex. Uh, it was he did this thing in comedy Bang Bang called I think Harris's Foam Corner that he had all these jokes that he had on his on like on his phone and he would read them and it'd be so funny. But he was a writer for SNL. I'm sorry, writer for Parks. Parks so I had a meeting with. I remember. I, by the way, I remember the Harris joke by the end. I of can't the wait. I would love if you. That would be great. So at the begin, I got a call from Mike Schur, who created Parks and Rec. He had seen, I did these things for ESPN where I, I did uh, Sunday Conversations, which was this group. I don't know how much in the sports here, but yeah. yeah so ESPN had a thing called Sunday Conversations where people would seriously talk to athletes. And um, they saw some stuff I did and they wanted me to be a part of it. And I said, what if I did like a jokey version of Sunday Conversations, but I'm kind of a mess. And, I'm, and so Mike sure saw those when I was interviewing Sean Merriman and Nastia Lukin and uh, like all these people. And he loved it. And he's like, he invited me in when there's a role where um, Amy Poehler has a boyfriend who's a cop. And so they're like, we're interested to see maybe until so they talked to me about that role, but I was way too young for it. And then when I left, Mike Schur, and so the meeting was with Harris, Katie, and him. And when I left, Mike Schur was like, it's like, this place is like the Simpsons, even though this one isn't right for you. Like if something comes along that we feel is right for you, maybe, you know, like Millhouse is over here and the comic book guys over, so you never know. The world is like ever expanding. I was like, great. And then they called me and John Ralphio was just a paragraph. That was all it was. And after we did it once, I did the rehearsal. Mike came down and then came to my ear and goes, you're going to be coming back. And it gave me all this confidence. And I was like, oh, yeah, so yeah, happy yeah, yeah. that now I was like, all right, now I'm not as nervous. And it was great. That's how, how the whole thing of, started. How much of your success on camera depends on the approval of say directors, producers, writers, cat. Like I found that when I first started acting, I was not comfortable in what was network sitcom where it was like, and moving on. All right, we got to get, we got that. And, and I was always like, Oh, I need someone to be like, God damn, you were amazing. Like if I wasn't the star, oh, you need the validation. Afterwards. I need the validation. I, it was really tough for me. The, the, you start to learn. I've learned from that, that it matters. The director, like there's this great English director I worked with that just didn't, just doesn't compliment. And then I talked to him about, it. I was like, am I doing all right? And he'll be like, if I moved on, you did great. The only reason, if you if you don't do well, that means that I, I haven't moved on. He goes, I'm not moving on unless I got exactly what I want. So he goes, I'm very British. I don't I, I don't do that. Sorry, I was like, great. <laughs> but then there are people that will stop the scene, like because they're the director's laughing so hard and be like, Oh, Ben, come on! And then you're almost embarrassed because he's saying it in front of other people. So he's like a fun little mixture of of both. I, I say like anytime I hear the crew laughing or like see someone about to laugh. It is like fuel to me. It is like yeah. Superman near the sun. It like makes me feel powerful. Same with on stage. I always say like whenever we do these big shows and I come out on stage, I'm always a little bit anxious unless until we get my first laugh and then I'm fine. Then I know, okay, we're going to be fine. That it just gives you something that you're like, it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? This podcast is brought to you by hymns. If you haven't heard me talking about for then you sincerely haven't been listening. I have talked about this company probably more than any one company. This is a company designed by a man who knew that some male conversations were better to have online than in person. One of them being hair loss. Basically, this is a website for one-stop shopping for men, for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness, all for men. Gentlemen, it's time to write a new chapter in your life, and it starts with your hair. You have a full head of hair. I noticed that I started losing my hair when I was 22 years old. Jeff Hartley was standing above me. He said, oh, bro, I think you're losing your hair. And I started panic, panicking. I turned to a bunch of crazy solutions that at the time, we didn't even have the internet back then. This was 1990, probably three. That's how long I've been messing with my hair. And I still have it. I still have it. Do you know why? Because 66% of men 
by the age of 35, start losing, losing their hair. And once you see it going, it may be too late, but I did something and I got in front of it. And if you prevent hair loss by doing something about it while you still have hair, that is how you go about it. And you don't have to turn to some weird bull crap gas station remedy. These are prescription solutions backed by science. No more awkward in-person doctor visit. Whoo, like I had to have or a long pharmacy line. Forhams connects you with real doctors online, which would save you hours. Completely confidential and discreet. Answer a few quick questions. Doctor's going to review it. They'll determine if it's right for you. Bam. And if they determine it's right for you, they then can prescribe you the medication to treat your hair loss that is shipped directly and discreetly to your door right now. My listeners can get started with their first month for free. Go to forhims.com slash BertCast. That is forhims.com slash BertCast. Remember, prescription requires an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Offer valid only if prescribed. Three-month minimum subscription. Additional restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Remember, that is forhims.com slash birdcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Apron. I love what's going on in Blue Apron right now. Have you ever had a dish so good you could have it over and over and over again? I have. I've had a Blue Apron that way. I had a Blue Apron that was a chorizo enchiladas with a little bit of rice sprinkled on the bottom, rolled up in tortillas, eight of them to be exact, white cheddar sprinkled on top with a sour cream dressing onto the side, and I loved it. 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 And I could eat it over and over and over again. Well, guess what? Blue Apron's kicking off this summer with a can't-miss menu of their top-rated recipes all through June. The entire menu are recipes customers repeatedly asked to bring back. They're the highest-rated ones, the ones they said they'd cook every single week. So if you're looking to try a meal kit service, right now is the perfect time because you're going to get all the meals that we as Blue Apron customers love. They're coming to you. Home cooking is never more important than right now. I mean, I feel like that's all we're doing. And with Blue Apron, you get peace of mind. You get peace of mind because you have freshness and quality ingredients delivered right to your door so you can cook delicious, easy meals from the comfort of your own home. Blue Apron takes the guesswork out of dinner. I say to Leanne, what are we having for dinner tonight? She says, Blue Apron, and we just make it and we eat. You can know your ingredients are being prepared and packaged with the highest quality attention to quality and safety. And with their commitment to transparency and reducing waste, Blue Apron has your back in more ways than one. Consider Blue Apron your kitchen coach. You learn new things, like I learned how to pull up a fond. It's like one of my favorite things to do. And you get dishes designed for a healthy lifestyle for those with specialized ingredients. You'll love how good home cooking can be. And they'll deliver ingredients right to your door. Create a meal plan that works for you with the ever-changing mix of menu options. And it's inexpensive. It's as low as 7 49 starting as low as 749 per serving. Cancel orders whenever you want. Traveling, bam. You can send your box to a destination or to a friend. Update delivers anytime. Any night you cook and spend quality time with your family and have a great meal is time well spent. I would argue that I have great daughters. I have an episode where you're gonna find out that I have great daughters that are very open and honest with me. I have I'm not gonna share it yet, but it's coming out. It's with Oliver Hudson and uh, Joe Buck. We talk about this. And you know why my daughters can talk to me? I swear to God, because we have dinner all the time together. We have, as long as I've had this podcast and I've had Blue Apron as a sponsor, my daughters, my wife, and I have dinner every night, at least two nights a week. We have two Blue Aprons a week, and I'm only home really two nights a week, usually, not now. But we have two nights a week, and my daughters are open and honest. And I'm telling you, it's because we eat dinner together. And these are restaurant-worthy meals. 
You also discover, discover new ingredients, new methods, unique food pairings. I'm telling you, this is going to blow your mind. If you want to try a meal kit, but you're concerned about the packaging, don't worry. You can feel good about the food and environment and the impact it's going to have. Don't sacrifice flavor. Don't settle for boring meals with Blue Apron. You can enjoy top-rated recipes all this month. Check out this week's menu and get $30 off across your first two deliveries when you visit blueapron.com slash birdcast. That's blueapron.com slash birdcast. Trust me on this. Blueapron.com. Feed your soul. That's Isla said last night watching it. And I, I, it's, it's, I, it really had an impression. I love that you watched it, by the way, Bert. I've talked to yeah. so few stand-ups that have watched it, so it means a lot that you watched it. No, no. I said to me, um, it's, I, I was really impressed with Isla's. The, I, I hadn't really realized that my daughter had grown up with stand-up as her form of entertainment that she had seen the most of. The very first thing she said, in, and this, will, this is odd, it, did, it just, I didn't notice it. She goes, why did he run out there? And I went, what? She goes, he ran out there. Like he, how come he didn't walk? And I went, oh, it's di- this is different, baby. This isn't like, stand-up is like, you're walking in, these are your fans. You're like, what's up? This is an art form. These are, these are more like a, like lunch pail. It's, they're not, it's not about celebrity for them. It's about the work. Like it's, it's very, and I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Why am I not running out? Like Dude, it was such an interesting. You are going to love why I run. This is going to make you so happy. There's what? two things. There's two things. One is that, it like it brings energy. It like comes out. So like when we come out, like that applaud, that energy that I'm bringing out there. Because Thomas kind of just like trots behind usually, and I yeah. I jet. So like I love the energy that it brings out. The second is because Letterman did it every single show for his show. Every time mm-hmm. I would watch him before he comes out, watch any Letterman episode. Very few people know this. Before he comes out, he runs from the left side. First of all, he runs from the back. He runs in the alleys to get to the stage because I was the page. I had to make sure that nobody's going to the bathroom so he can come through. So sometimes he ran, sometimes he walked, but before every single show he ever did, he ran from one side of the stage to the other, and then the thing comes up, and then he walks out. So it's like, I love that, en- and it keeps your oh, energy so up. that's so amazing. I didn't yeah. know that. It keeps your energy up, and it, like, it makes it feel like, it gets me pumped a little bit. It's like almost like sports coming out, and like yeah. a team sport and whatever. So I started doing it, and I really liked it, and it, it started, uh, it started uh, coming, because when I was doing hot sauce and stuff like that, I never really did it. It wasn't until we played bigger and bigger venues that I did that. Because when you do UCB, it's like a small little 90-person venue. Yeah. So running out kind of feels almost weird. But like um, we have room in Largo. We have room to fucking go. So instead of just like slowly trotting, I'm like, woof. Um, yeah. I love that she brought that up. It was really – it was fascinating to watch. Man, she really, she really enjoyed it. She was laughing fucking hard as shit. I the- can't wait for her to see them all. What's um? What's uh? What was UCB like? I, I've never. I have no. I have. I've never. I've been to UCB. Um, where did you come up? You you came up in New York, didn't you? Clubs. Yeah, yeah. I started at the Boston Comedy Club. That's where I did. Before. That's where I did stand up. That's where I bombed and fucking wanted to kill myself. What night? Monday night. I um. It was uh, a Monday uh, night. F- uh, Christian Finnegan. Yeah, it was a Monday night. He, he was sure. No, I don't know if it was Christian Finnegan. I don't know what year was that. Two thousand three or four. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I started there in like 98, 97, 98. Yeah. And uh, worked the door and then started getting stage time at the end of the night through there. And then and then moved out, got a TV show, TV show, moved out to LA and then kind of just did, did like the improv and the road. And so- Yeah, so, so how long did it take for you to start and then get past at those places? Oh, I, I, it, I'm a different, you know, I'm, I, I, 
I was telling this to someone the other day. Everyone's path is very different. Oh, sorry, I'm talking person. And I was saying, you know, despite the fact that we all are in the same business, we could talk very easily about a, a litany of different topics, subjects of, of just creativity processes, um, business, where we see things going. All of us had really, really different beginnings. And mine was more in the vein of Burr and, and Geraldo in that I got passed very quickly at a club and then got recognized and then moved to Hollywood and got a TV show. Like within, What was your TV show? I had a few of them. Uh, That's incredible. I, yeah, I was I, six months. My, my first six months, I got uh, discovered by Will Smith, and I moved out here and Come developed on, give me a, a break. sitcom with him. Is he the and best? I want him was, to be the yeah. nicest guy in the world. He really is. He, there's no letdown. I, I've always uh, when I, I always told this story about the fact my dad. When did my fucking mic go off? God, I hear you beautifully. You sound incredible. Let me uh, plug this in and make sure. Um, better no. now. Also, oh. give me a thumbs up if it's better. Okay, um, but uh, Will Smith's absolutely amazing. He really is absolutely amazing. Um, but and then I, I got in TV, and I, I, I think because of that, I was never someone who I never could like. My friends would just go do Groundlings because they were you know two years in, mm-hmm. or do UCB or do those things. And I was already like I remember signing up for an acting class, and I and it said on the thing occupation. And I wrote, what a silly question. And they were like, well, what's your job? And I said, I'm like an actor. And they went, no, like, what do you do to make money? I said, act. Why the fuck do you think I'm here? And they're like, no, like, how do you pay your rent? I said, development deals. And they're like, hold on, you've been in something? And I was like, yeah. I was like, wait, no one's booked anything here? And they were like, no. And I was like, I'm fucking out. Okay. <laughs> and so, I was like, maybe I want an acting coach. My bad. So, um, but... But I, but, but I got into television very quickly and then I had to get back into stand-up and like kind of start from scratch. And I started the improv, uh, Laugh Factory, and then the road for me. And then I got married and I had kids. And did, I, you find the the same, for- did you find the same short time span from starting stand-up in LA to getting passed at those clubs or no? No, I, but I, I didn't really get... I was making money so I didn't care about getting passes. Like I could get spots. Like I didn't get passed at the store until I was like 43, 44. Wow, wow. But I did, but it, but it wasn't important to me until then. Like it wasn't something that I needed because I was like, I don't care. And UCB is somewhere where I've only been to do shows at. Like I, I don't. And everyone, like UCB, gets a bad rap from traditional stand-ups, like in New York because they didn't pay or what, or what mm-hmm. for whatever reason because it was the alt scene versus that in LA. But every time I was there, the staff was fucking through the roof nice. Like the sh- shows were amazing. Like everyone was cool as fuck. Everyone had a cold beer or a joint, and it was like I've never. So it like was my, very special. The UCB yeah. or one the years that I was there, I, I, I was there from two thousand three to two thousand and nine, and then I moved to LA. Yeah. Um, I never was, was in the one. I never went to the one in New York. Oh, the one in Chelsea was. I mean, that's where I I, I started doing stuff there. I became an intern there so I can pay for classes, right? Because I wasn't making any money. So I became an intern there so they would they would take care of my classes. And um, so I was interning a show called Ask Cat, which was at the time Amy Poehler, Ian Roberts, Matt Besser, Matt Walsh. Then like, you know, Alec Baldwin do, would do monologues. And Jack McBrayer is improvising. Tina Fey would come by. Rachel Dratch, Rachel Sands. And it's just like the Rachel Dratch is so fucking funny. So funny. And by the way, so, so fucking funny. That you remember, because I was an intern. First of all, I was an intern there. Then I was a bartender. Then I was the person who cold called colleges 
to try to book the touring company that I wasn't even on. I wasn't good enough to be on, but to stay, to make some money and to stay in that theater program, I would, they would put me in the box office during the day when the, 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 I had keys to the, to the theater. They put me in the box office. I was by myself. I would use their phone and cold call a list of colleges to try to book the improv uh, team, which I wasn't even a part of the UCB touring no. company. So uh, at the beginning, it was incredible. The funniest people I've ever met in my life, like Rob Riggle, Rob Hubel. And they were all underneath a, a stupid fucking grocery store where like bags would leak on stage and it smells weird. And the coolest people in the world would show up. I was blown away. I was blown away that it existed. And I couldn't believe I was around it. I know that recently some things have happened since I've been gone that I don't, I don't know much about, but I know they're not the best. But um, when we were there, it was very much like crazy shows. Everybody go, everybody's like on stage trying new shit and everybody's trying different types of improv. And it was just so, it was so fun. And I would watch my idols, like every ask had a different monologist would be like Mike Myers. And then someone else that I looked up to when I was a kid. So it'd be incredible. That's gotta be an amazing kind of incubator to be in as an artist is to watch you know half of half of everything i think i've ever done is watching someone i really really admire and then going i wish i could do that and then find ultimately creatively finding my way to figure that out you know like um like i, I've, I like i'll tell you the big thing i've been working on and i'm i just can't i have a really hard time doing it is act outs like i watch what's an act out like uh like it's, you would just call it being on stage but like but like uh not just standing in front of, and telling and holding the mic like this, like including your body in some sort of small way. But don't you do that? Aren't you notorious no, for that? Really, I, I mean, maybe I do it, but I don't do it to a level. I'll, t- I'll give you a perfect example. I have a bit right now. I have no bits right now because of this, but I have a bit that was in my new hour that I was touring with. It's a really great story about, um, I went to a raffle. Uh, I went to a, a wine tasting. They had a raffle and I bought all the raffle tickets. I didn't tell anyone. I just bought them all. And then when they did the raffle, I won them all, but I didn't tell everyone I owned all the tickets. So it just looked like I was winning and people got really upset. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, the bit is, it's a true story, but the bit is, it's very true, is I went and I stood at the furthest table from where they called out the numbers so I could make the walk. That's and, amazing. And, and I, won, I won, they had 12 prizes, I won 11 of them. And so... And did you go now, back to the end every time? Come Every through? time. And so, but on stage... Oh. I know that this will, I'm sure you already have figured out in your head. Sebastian Maniscalco knows how this works immediately. But to, for me, the bit is true. I walked over and I stood at the table furthest and the mic stand represents where they're picking the numbers. They call the first number and real, real simply a little, little act out for me is they call it and I go, that's me. And I pop up on my toes. That's me. And I walk and I do the walk and I talk to people on the walk. But, but, What's so crazy is that I have the hardest time in that moment. I feel very uncomfortable. Like I don't feel as comfortable when as you're I on do. Stage explaining just, it. This part. Just tell. No, no, no. When I'm acting it out, as opposed to just talking it out. Like if, naturally, I would just go and then I walked and I would tell the story. But to act it out, I feel like if I'm not, if I'm not learning new things in stand up, I'm moving backwards. So to learn to be uncomfortable on stage and learn how to find those silent moments that get laughs and, and act out and get into the bit and let people see it more. That's what I'm trying to do with this bit. That's so interesting. Yeah. And, and by the way, so that so, would be like Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor, are very good at acting out stuff, correct? Yeah. Uh, Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor could, his act outs could be super, super small. I mean, one of the best act out comics ever is Sebastian Maniscalco. Like when he takes a bit. I don't he, know Sebastian. I got to see him. Oh, he's, I'd go he, crazy. I'd he love really, it. he can take, he did a bit. 
we had we had been renovating the, our house at one point, and Sebastian happened to be renovating his. And there was something I noticed that when I was living in my house that we were living through the renovation is that you'd sometimes you'd walk into the other room and they weren't doing any work. They were just sweeping. And you were like, so I'm paying for a guy to sweep up today. Like Mm -hmm. it's a fucking waste of money. Now I didn't see that as a bit. Sebastian just had, I just saw him on stage. I don't even know. He was just figuring it out. And he was like, I walk in the guy's sweet. And he does the guy sweeping. And it was so funny because he really owned the character doing the mo, and I was like, I'm just like, man, I not only did I not see that, I don't know if I could have gotten there. So my big thing with oh, every special so I do is I want to I want to try to challenge myself to do something that makes me uncomfortable. And so right now, just that little act out of walking from this place to this place and talking to like three different people and figuring out that bit for me is like but my for, but for me the 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 uh, that's such a fun bit and the thing that you can just keep so we call it uh, whatever there i won't no 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 bit. tell me what you call it so the game of the scene basically in my we call it the game of the scene the game of the scene is basically that you know you know you've won everything and you give yourself such a long distance to walk so in my head the fun of that would be not only doing that Right. And then literally why you have your microphone, right? Because also the fucking physicality of that fucking cord going back and forth. You're going there, you take it and you're like, thank you so much. And you start your slow walk back. And while you're starting your slow walk back, you're talking to the same people. This is so embarrassing anyway. And then right before, right when you get to the end, they say, Bert, you're like, oh my God. And you do it again. (laughs) And the length of how long that will take to me is so funny because it's, it's like there's a scene that John Glazer did once in an improv scene. John Glazer is a great writer for a Conan. And I know who John Glazer is. He's great. And um, I, I, I did not know who he was. He did a great bit in Eugene Merman's new movie. And I did not realize that was him doing it. Yeah. Because his hat was real low. Yeah. But yeah. He's, he's great in characters. But so in my head, you doing that and coming back and forth and then having to talk to the same people. And then the second time around, they're a little bit annoyed. And then yeah. you could show that with your acting out to them. You could show that. You pick it up. It's not as you know, like maybe the first time you get it, the person's like, you're like, thank you. The second time they're not as into it. And then the third time you're like, oh, fuck. You know, and then you're like the bit bat, whatever. I think really fun. But Blazer had this bit where he was playing an old woman on stage and um, Walsh or someone made a pretend phone ring. On, so it was the length of the Chelsea stage is pretty long. It uh, used to be Chelsea for a So Glazer was a very old woman and he would walk and the phone would ring and it took him for fucking ever to get there. And by the time he got there, the phone would stop ringing and he never broke character. He's like, oh, well. And he starts going very, very slowly back this way while the scene is happening. And right when he's about to leave, the phone rings again. And the audience was dying because he took his time. He was so patient that it made it so uncomfortable that the crowd went crazy for it. But like that, the, the, the anticipation of, I know that you're going everybody in that audience knows that you want again, the way that you explain the story and you're waiting to get here. And now you got to do the whole fucking walk again. That's so funny to me. Though, and the, I mean, what happened in real life was, and 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 this is another, you know, in stand up bit is, I I won, I have the end. I I know that I know number eleven, right? Um, the the thing is, which ones do you highlight? The first one and the second one. Then it's got to be you jump to five, and then it's yes. seven here, and and I just became more and more obnoxious. Because it was just pissing people off, and I thought it was fucking hilarious. That's but fucking yeah, great. See, this is the thing that, like, I I feel like I feel like there is a, a sincere division between comics and improv guys because comics. I think all comics feel like, oh yeah, I do crowd work. It's the same thing. 
it's not because with crowd work, I know I have a parachute. Like I can just jump out and go into material That's and then true. jump back into crowd work. With improv, you are you are pot committed. Isla said to me last night, how many of these did they tape? Like there had to be bad ones. And I go, I have no idea. We filmed like four and we had to air keep and you have three. And whatever happens in them is what happens because we can't like stand up. So the big, I think you'll like this too. I'm so happy we're doing this. The One of the big pitches that we had for, by the way, everybody passed on this. Every single place passed on this. Really? Uh, and then Netflix came back and we got them in the end because one of the pitches that we had was, um, we're, if you give us the opportunity and like how many, when you did your, when you did Secret Time, how many times did you film it? Two or three? Secret Time twice. Hey, big boy, I did it four. I taped four. So you taped four times uh, over the course of two nights? Two nights, yeah. Okay, so we said to them, you give us, Two nights for, and, and for people who may not know, one of the reasons why Bert does that is because he can hold the venue, he can hold the crew, and, that, and because he's using the same crew in the same venue, everything costs way less. Mm-hmm. So like if, if Bert wanted to do three over here and then in Boston do another three, it would be way too expensive. We never, even if it's just for his same show, whatever, but uh, sorry. So, so we do it, we're like, give us the same venue, same exact thing, and we won't, we'll give you f- like three separate specials. A stand-up would then have to take about five to six months to create new material, at least, and tour it to get it. But we're able to, every show is its own totally different show. So we'll change the backdrop to make it look unique so people know they're watching a different show. We'll put on different clothes. But we shot all four of those in 27 hours, and we just picked the best three out of the four. And whatever happens. So sorry, the point I was making is, if there's a bit that doesn't go great, from what I've heard from stand-ups and tell me this is wrong, you'll just cut it from the special. Be like, fuck it. That joke bombed in both the times we did it. We don't really sure. need it in this one. I'm going to rework it, maybe play it on a different special. We can't cut a section because it's a story. And if we take away a part of that section, then the story makes no sense. Yeah. So we can cut tiny little pieces. And the crowd work part at the beginning was way longer. It was like 20 minutes and we cut it to five minutes. So like, but once we start improv, we can only cut tiny slices. We can't really do anything. So that was like part of the... It was very nerve wracking for us because it's like we did all these shows and we had some real good ones. None of that shit matters. Whatever happens in these next 27 hours is how millions of people will be introduced to long form improv. And it was terrifying. But I think we're really happy with the three that we got. They're not our best shows by any means, but they're a good representation of how different every single show could be. Well, I think all of us feel like that. And and by the way, I I was curious how nervous you guys were going out on that first show because... I I know for a fact I'm nervous and I have the material prepared and I know it works and I know that it like I've I've run this hour now for for me I've run that exact hour for probably three months. That's crazy, isn't that incredible? I mean, but you're also it, making tiny changes throughout, right? Oh yeah, like like for me, what it is is uh, I, I'm a very lazy writer in that I I consider it like plate spinning. You get an hour up and you just want to get the whole hour and have the nine plates spinning and those nine plates are your bits. You just want them going. And then you're like, all right, everything's spinning at the same time. That's the goal. And then when you work it, you just look and you go, that one's super wobbly. And then you go into that plate and you're like, oh, I've, there's a bunch of placeholders in here where I should have jokes. And so oh, that's interesting. And that's where, for and then, then I think that's what makes a great special is when you take a great bit, like, um, like, um, I don't, I'm trying to think, I don't have a, uh, oh, uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you a perfect example. It's not a great bit, but it's a joke that I had. This is a really good example. I jumped out of a plane with Rachel Ray and I had a bit about it in, in the machine, the, my second special. And, and the bit was, you know, I 
uh, the, I was sitting in the guy's lap and the guy, uh, the guy gets me up to the door and he's like, we're ready to go. And I had three times where I said I didn't want to go, but and as a lazy joke writer, I go, suck my dick, fuck you, eat my ass or whatever. Like those are my three replies. Mm -hmm. When you look at that bit, you, when and you record it and you look at it and you go, okay, those are three opportunities for uh, jokes where I can now do callbacks. Like, yeah. So, uh, I'm not ready. My dick's not hard. Like, you know, and callbacks. And then you go, oh, and now that joke is a more uh, textured joke with, with good punchlines throughout it. Yeah. And that metaphor, it almost seems like you're using that moment to keep three different plates spinning so people don't forget. One of the big things for us, everything we're making up is on the spot, but I'll remember shit and be like, I got to remember, like, it just comes in the moment where it's like, oh, uh, one of the things in improv is everything happens for a reason. There are no mistakes. There are no mistakes. Mm -hmm. So like if something happens or like there's a, there's an episode you saw Thomas walk by as a ghost for no reason, just to fuck with me, literally just to fuck with me. And so in my head, I was like, all right, if I can find a way to call back that ghost somewhere in here where it feels like this is where a ghost should be, then I can pay that off. And the audience will, because the audience saw it the same exact second I saw it. So we're all on the same page. I can find a way to call that back. So improv is so callback heavy. It's to take characters, bits, sentences. And for us, half of that is to like remind people that this character exists. Like I'll do a physical thing with a woman like this, like um, one of the shows. So anytime I'm like touching my hair like this, you know, it's that character as opposed yeah. to if I'm like this. Um, but with jokes, we call back. It's all about calling back because the whole idea is you're trying to like culminate this thing where it looks like you've planned everything and then at the end you have this big fucking explosion just like with you your last joke is oftentimes the one that just crushes and brings every be like you know all these plates now i'm gonna fucking crash them together and just make you remember everything that happened blah 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 so callback stuff is huge for us too now um i want to talk to you about your writing because you've written a ton mm. and and you and do, do, are you in that position now in hollywood where they'll send you a script and go hey can you fix this for us or Will you take a pass at that? Yeah. So the, there's different there's different examples. Which pretend, pretend, pretend. This is one of the most fascinating things in Hollywood, in my opinion. The first person that ever told me about this in passing was Thomas Lennon. I oh, he is a brilliant writer, and he is getting paid a lot of money to do what I'm about to say. What I get paid for for nothing. <laughs> but by the way, by the way, to put it in perspective, and by the way, Thomas Lennon is not held to this. This is not his truth. This is my recollection of a story that I'm certain I've punched up a million times in my head is I forget the fucking movie and I I'm I'm friend I'm I'm not friends with Thomas Lennon. I'm fr I would say I'm friends with Michael Ian Black although he would definitely say <laughs> we're not just to be a dick but um Michael uh Thomas, Thomas Lennon was like oh yeah it was like I was in passing he was like yeah I was like you know 250,000 to I got to just had to sit with it for a weekend and I was like huh like it, it exists I've it never, exists. And I so don't, people I don't, don't know that, that like exists. a movie like Starsky and Hutch, yes, yeah, someone wrote it, but then they send it to you or to, or to, even just for like, if you can, uh, and I'll fill in blanks where I, I may know something interesting, tell everyone about that process, how you get into that, that, that part sure. of the business and so what the, that is. There's a, a bunch of things. Thomas is on a different level because he's, he's, he's proven himself time and time again that he can write scripts that sell and make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I've sold, five movies to five different studios. So I've written, I've written many more, but I've sold five. And I've showed that I can create a world that people like enough to pay me to make it, but uh, maybe to write it. But it's, it becomes, it's becomes a harder thing, especially now they're not making $10 million comedies anymore, man. So like, so what's that mean to someone that doesn't know anything? So like, 
Bert and I grew up watching Steve Martin in a hundred movies. And we also grew up watching uh, Will Ferrell and Boa Ba and like all these people in a billion movies, Jack Black. Da, da, da. Now, if you look at a studio like Universal or Paramount, they maybe make one or two comedies a year. Like mm-hmm. last year, I was in Night School, which was one of three comedies that Universal made for the whole year. Mm-hmm. And now right. I, I just- Isla's, did, Isla's favorite movie. Uh, Night School? Yeah. Because she's <laughs> I love dysle- it. She's dyslexic. So oh, amazing. That's perfect. Was, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes me so happy. Um, I love that Isla knows me from my specials and night school. Two things someone under 16 should never be watching. By the way, I got to tell you, like, I, I felt very safe in that her sensibility of comedy was leaning your direction and not mine. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure it's it was a like, beautiful Thank God she's not liking the guy who's like, and then she farted during oral sex. I mean, <laughs> what, are you going to shit my mouth? You know, like, <laughs> so keep, keep going. So keep going. So, $10 million movies. Yeah, so they don't, they don't really make those as much. So oftentimes, well, this is, this is the way that I learned at the beginning. I would take a little bit personal when my movies wouldn't get made. But to invest in me is not a huge investment. Um, some writers are a million dollars. I'm not, I am not that. I'm very much not that. Um, but say they love an idea of mine and I write the script and they give me notes and they like it. And I'll, always, I'll usually be paired with a production company. Like I've done one with Seth and Evan. I've done one with Adam McKay. I've done two with Imagine, um, um, whatever. So, so you'll get notes from all these different people. I even got on the blacklist, which is this fun little list of like scripts that people like but didn't get made. And so then, so let's say they invest very little amount of money. I mean, let's just call it $10 just to make it easy. Um, if they want to make that a movie, they have to then invest $15, 20000000 million. So the investment of a writer is such a small percentage at the beginning until like, because if you want to go into production, not only are they thinking about how much the movie costs to get made, they have to think about PR afterwards, which is another, you know, sometimes it's 40% of what the budget is of the thing. So, um, so regardless. So I've written a bunch of those and gotten real close to getting made, but sometimes didn't have a star power enough like um, a Ben Stiller in it or Will Ferrell. Like those people, if they say yes to your movie, it puts it in a green light zone. But it's very hard to find, you know, one of the five bankable stars to say yes, regardless, especially at the beginning when nobody even knows who I am or Boba. So, okay. So from that and from getting on the blacklist, which is something that Franklin Leonard put together, which is brilliant, which kind of showed these scripts that didn't, didn't get made, but shows love to them and show that they're like, some of the best, whatever is that got me a little bit of love in the writing world. So then companies would then ask if I would come to round tables. So this isn't even what you're talking about. What you're talking okay. about is, and this is like, oftentimes it's WGA minimum for, you know, whatever to get there. But you're in a room with sometimes some of the funniest people you've ever met in your life. Sometimes fucking Apatow is there. Sometimes, you know, Lord and Miller is there. And um, because I had a joke writing background, oftentimes they'll, they'll, they'll ask me to help punch up stuff. Or they'll see if their story, whatever. So we'll all be around a room. We'll go through the script. We'll go to a table read or something like that. People will leave. And then we'll talk about how to make it funnier page by page. Or we'll talk about like what the story feel. I was confused here. Da, da, da. And you get paid very little for it, right? Or, you know, I'm sure there are people that get paid a, a lot and deservedly so. Um, but you get paid a little, you know, some amount of it. And then you'll do some stuff. Sometimes zero jokes to get in. I did one for a big movie that 50 of my jokes got in. The person was like, the person was like, it has no, it needs to be funnier than this. And they just picked me. I was the only writer there. Uh, and I went to the producer's house. It was crazy. It was amazing because he lived in Miami. He was lovely to me. And then I just wrote joke, 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 joke. And they did reshoots and uh, they, they ended up being a fun experience. But for me- What movie was that? Can you say what movie? No, they, they don't. There's another thing. You're not supposed to really talk about it. Really? That's interesting. Isn't that kind of- 
weird. Like I've done it for a couple, although sometimes you're like, I did just as a favor, just for fun. Uh, I punched up some jokes for C-3PO in episode nine of uh, Star Wars. So like, of course, like JJ, who helped me be, the, I was able to be, uh, help make the voice of BB-8 in seven. Yeah. And then I was a stormtrooper in seven. And JJ put me in my first like pilot that like went. So I'll do anything he wants ever. I think he's one of the most brilliant men. So he's like, hey, we need to make, we're trying to make C-3PO a little bit funnier because like this part of the movie doesn't have as many jokes. So I would, I watched the movie for everybody else and I would write jokes and I would pitch it to him. And then I would, uh, with Stefan Grub, who's one of the editors, I would go with a microphone and do my voice doing an impression of C-3PO and putting him in there so JJ could hear if it made sense. And if he liked him, uh, he would pick the ones he liked and then he would call Anthony Edwards, who's like, um, you know, C-3, Anthony Edwards, that's his name, right? Who did C-3PO. The guy from, uh, the guy from St. Elsewhere? Oh, crap. If I get this wrong, I am in yeah, trouble. No, bald guy? No, he's a beautiful British man. Who does the uh, voice of C three PO? It might be. It might be. I'm thinking. I'm. I'm thinking of the guy. By the way, who I'm thinking of is can't be. Oh my goodness! This is going to be. Just to be fair, I would first. I thought you said Anthony Anderson, and I was like, Yeah, the, Anthony Anderson does C three PO. If you didn't know that, by the way, um, <laughs> Anthony Daniels. That's what his name is. Christ, Anthony Edwards. You know who Anthony Edwards is? The guy from ER, right? Yeah. No. No. He was from saying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. ER. No. Saying elsewhere. Anthony Daniels. Thank you very much. I apologize. Thank you. Uh, so he, the ones that JJ would like, he would ask uh, uh, Anthony uh, Daniels to do it in a real microphone. And then he would plug it in because C-3PO, once they filmed, you can't see his mouth moving. So they could make him say whatever, whenever. Same with Sonic. When I did Sonic, I did punch. I did different versions of jokes with that every day to the last day because until they animated Sonic's lips, I can make, we can make Sonic say anything. Everything else they can't reshoot because it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to roll again on Jim Carrey and everything to get. But for me, it's, I go into a tiny booth with Jeff Fowler and Toby Asher, the director and the producer, and I try a hundred jokes out and I try some that uh, Pat and like the, the writers write and they pick the funniest ones and they put it in there. So, um, so sorry, that gets off a little bit, but maybe that's up. So I would, I would do that for movies, but you know, the pay, the pay wasn't, you know, it was more like, uh, sometimes it was like, oh, I get to be in the room with Seth Evan and Judd. How cool. Or I get to learn. I love learning. Exactly what you said. I love learning from people that are smarter than me. Yeah. So like being in a room with those guys, watching Judd tackle, like watch that and tackle it, watching Lord and Miller one time for a thing, tackle like how they would go about things. I did it for a couple other things and I really, really liked it. But so one of the things you're talking about is there's two different versions of a rewrite. What you're talking about is a punch up. They would come to Thomas Lennon and Ben to they'll be like, hey, the script needs to be, they just give it to them. They're like, just go. And they'll pay them a bunch of money to do that. Uh, I'm not in that. Sometimes they'll come to me and be like, we want something called a page one. Re they go, are you interested in rewriting this movie? And I'll be like, you know what? If I'm writing, if I'm spending so many months writing a movie again, I'd rather just start from the beginning with one of mine. Um, and then they'll say, what about a page one rewrite where you start from the beginning with our characters? Let's say we're doing the Burt movie and it's about you with your kid. It's you and Isla. And it's a story where you guys are going cross country and you're trying to, you know, find validation from your dad or whatever it is. So they'll be like, we love the idea that Burt and Isla are going cross country. We love that as the idea. We don't like all the things they do along this one. We're going to throw out that script, but keep the idea. Would you be interested in doing a page one rewrite? Same idea, whole different story. You can make Bert different if you want. You can make Isla a different character, but we, we own this idea and we want to do it. And oftentimes I will almost, I have never said yes, because if I'm starting from page one, I want to start with a whole new thing. Like yeah, I want to go yeah. If you're going to write a script, I would want it to be my own idea anyway. Yeah. And sometimes once or twice I got offered a big one and I got, I got scared a little bit. I was like, I don't, or I would, I just didn't think I was the right writer for it. 
yeah. I'd be like, I'm, I know someone who could do this better than me. Um, and I would, I would say that I was like, this is great. Uh, but I'm, I'm not the guy, like it would take me so much research and as opposed to blank person who's so passionate about this will always know more than I do about this. Um, but so that's kind of how that works. There's way different versions of all that. But the way that I've always told my scripts is I, I go into a room, I pitch it to a producer usually, and me and the producer go to the studios, we pitch it there, we see who's interested. Oftentimes those producers have a first look deal, so you have to, you're, you have to go to someplace first. And um, oftentimes those people will take it if they like it. And then you kind of work from there. But I, it's, it's so weird. I've gotten close once or twice to my movies getting made, but it's so hard because the investment of actually making a movie is millions and millions and the $10 million, $15 million comedy, the budget of that doesn't really exist as much anymore outside of like night school once a year or something like that. This episode of the BirdCast is brought to you by Buffalo Trace. I am so happy to have Buffalo Trace as a sponsor. It's a whiskey I've been enjoying on Rogan's podcast for the past couple years. And uh, I was lucky enough to get them as a sponsor. And I am so happy. This is a whiskey that's been distilling since 17. 17- 73. Ever since the American pioneers followed the Buffalo herds to the Kentucky River, they even operated during Prohibition with a permit to make whiskey for medicinal purposes, which I find fascinating because right now, with what's going on in the COVID news, as the oldest continuously operating distillery in America, Buffalo Trace Distilleries has dealt with everything floods, fires, wars, recessions, prohibitions. They've endured it all and they feel a great sense of responsibility. And what they've done, they've already produced more than 2 million liters of hand sanitizer so far. They're still making bourbon, rolling out barrels into the warehouse every single day. I mean, bourbon is designated as an essential in this time. But the tours of the distillery have been suspended in light of the COVID pandemic, and they are making this fantastic hand sanitizer. Thank God. God bless them. Back in 2000, the gang of Buffalo Trace was sipping whiskey and winning distillery of the year by Whiskey Advocate Magazine. Since then, They've won more awards than any other distillery in the world. They're still winning. Whiskey Magazine named them the best distillery in America again this year. Respected master distiller Harlan Wheatley is in charge, and he also makes craft vodka named after him, Wheatley Vodka, which I have and I will be enjoying this weekend. I cannot wait. Sidebar from him, it was sent directly to my house, and they said, this is more enjoyable than any vodka you're going to have. And I can't wait because I know if I know distillers, like a guy like Harlan, who's been at Buffalo Trace since 1995, he stands behind his word and his word is his bond. If the whiskey's in the barrel isn't ready to go in the bottle, it doesn't go. They know because they taste it all. The American Buffalo represents Buffalo Trace's uncompromising values. Buffalo stands strong and it's the only bourbon with balls. Literally, that's on the label. Buffalo Trace is made from corn, rye, and barley and matures twice as long as most bourbons. This Buffalo Trace bourbon ages in new oak barrels for around eight years. For the robust yet balanced taste, this stuff is complex yet smooth. I love it. I said to Rogan when I first had it, I tasted vanilla, brown sugar, and hints of spices, hints of oak and toffee. I love toffee. I love toffee. Distilled, aged, and bottled by Buffalo Trace, 90 proof, Franklin County, Kentucky, Buffalo Trace, American, family-owned, and independent. Let's talk about finding freelance talent for your business and or project. Look, sometimes a business needs to pivot quickly in order to meet a goal. Or an unexpected obstacle occurs, making it impossible for you to meet your goal 
with the size of your current team? Where are you going to go to find on-demand talent? Talent? How much is it going to cost? Can you be certain they deliver? Finding the right freelance talent can be time-consuming, frustrating, and even expensive. Fiverr's platform helps keep businesses moving with a network of trusted freelance talent. I am consistently, and I've said this over and over and over again, looking for a graphic designer. While we are running a t-shirt company out of burpurpurt.com based off jokes, we have a new one, Whiskey Cock Glock Dog, and I designed it myself. We have cups, Whiskey Cock Glock Dog. They're available now too. I designed it myself. I got this shirt. Oh, wait. Yeah, here. I designed that, and I designed... Well, I designed this one. This is a Burt Cat shirt. My point is, I would love someone professional to do it. I've reached out to people online, and sometimes they come back. I love their work. I tell them how much I want to pay. They want, they want more. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting there going, all right, well, they're going to bend me over. They already know I like it. I'm really in a bad position. Look, whether you're launching your first business, scaling your current business, or just in need of extra support to complete a project like myself, Fiverr is here to help you evolve, adapt, and grow. Fiverr connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and so much more. Find exactly what you're looking for instantly. Search by service, deadline, price, review, and more. You'll know exactly what you're paying for upfront. No negotiation needed, which is the best part. 24-7, 24-hour, seven days a week, customer service quality talent you can count on. Sellers have worked with some of the most influential brands in the world. Finding talent for your project has literally never been easier. You can review by seller ratings, buyer feedback, select the right freelancer based on your budget. That's what I like. Check out Fiverr today and receive 10% off your first order by using my promo code, BERTCAST. It's so easy. All you got to do, find all the digital services you need in one place. All you got to do is go to Fiverr.com. That's F-I-V-E-R-R. Dot com and use the code BERTCAST. Again, that's Fiverr.com, code BERTCAST. Okay. You know, one of the, uh, the things I love most, uh, the things I love most about Hollywood are, learn, are hearing about things that you don't know exist. Like I remember one time um, uh, my buddy Terry pointed out, he, he was doing, uh, uh, he was writing, a, I, I'm saying, I'm sure I'm fucking this up. He was writing ADR. He was writing the lines yeah. for when you can't see the the that's the, I that's what I've been that's exactly what C3PO was. Yeah, like when when the character's walking out of the room and it's like, fuck these bitches. I and have done it. I have done that exact job five or six times. <laughs> I think that's so cool. And I don't know how that's not like a podcast or a or a a, a competition show. Like I just think it's so neat. Like yeah, it's it's it's, it's so funny the different worlds. Because people, it becomes like a math equation to a lot of studios. All right, we need more laughs here. We need this person to be more likable. I've yeah. done that also. This person needs to be more likable. Is there anything when they're on their back on the phone that we can make them say? Is there anything while they're walking out of the room, like a funny zinger that yeah. makes that lightens the mood a little bit? So that that I mean, it's if you saw like one of those movies and how it really gets made, it is by the time it gets tested by audiences, they're like, this line doesn't work. This audience doesn't laugh at it. This line does work, and they they track everything. It's crazy. I, uh, I'm writing a script for me and Tom right now. Tom who? Segura. Oh, great. That'd be great. Yeah. And just, uh, and it's, I, but I, it's so funny. I, I've, every time I've written a script with other people, I've done it the way you're supposed to do, you know, put an outline, figure out the plot. 
but with the one with Segura, it's just such a ridiculous idea that I was like, I'm just going to start writing it. And then if I lose interest, I'll stop. And if I continue interest, I'll finish it. And, um, how's it going? It's good. It's, it's good. I think it's an amazing script. If you're a fan of me and Tom's, it is the fucking greatest movie you'll ever see. I love it. I don't know. Depending on how many people watch our specials, maybe we'll do, maybe we'll see if we could just sell it to Netflix and see if they'll be great. That's the uh, best. I feel but like yeah. Netflix could be that ground where people like you and I are like, hey, I got a crazy movie. Do you mind yeah. if I pitch you a crazy fucking movie? I mean, you look at Ali Wong and it's, I mean, not to say that Ali couldn't, what Ali did, by the way, I should not speak about any of this because I really don't know. But what I, what I can say from the outside, what I saw is Ali uh, Wong is kind of isolated and said, listen, I have a fan base that has come to this medium to see me and they've doubled, quadrupled, if not uh, got 10 times bigger from my first special to my second special. Can I write a movie for these people based That's off so of me? Smart. She says she's a so, great businesswoman. But same with yeah. you. I heard that when you're, I don't know if it was your last special one before that and tell me if I'm wrong, but this is from touring agents. Like I don't, we don't have any tour managers. All we have is our agents from our agency, but they would talk about how one of your specials came out and you fucking, you were able to play rooms twice the size that you were able to play beforehand. It was, it was probably even bigger than that, but yeah, it was, uh, it happened over, it happened, it happened, it, it, you know, that mach- my machine story went viral. And I think when that went viral, I started selling out clubs. And then once I started selling out clubs, there's kind of a, there's, it's a real big jump to go from 1200 tickets or 1500 tickets in a weekend to 3000 tickets in a night on a yep. Thursday. And, yep. um, but yeah, it was. I, I mean, I'm, I've I've been I've been very 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 lucky. But the thing I want to the thing I want to work on, and you know, I I've been very lucky in so many respects. Is that I run into people like you know like a Joe Rogan who kind of puts puts these glasses on you and goes, "Hey man, you should look at the business this way a little bit." And then you go, oh, "That's right, I should get a podcast and I should focus on it and care about it." And and then I should have another one. So like right now, I have three podcasts. I have a cooking show. Dude, and, really. Uh, you, yeah, two yeah, seconds yeah. ago, you talked about how you wish you were pushing yourself as, more. As the, when you said that to me, I was like, Bert, you're talking so much shit. You're fucking so much more business. Like, I think I'm this free-spirited artist who just wants to smoke weed and drink. But and you just, are. You can be both, by the way. But like, yeah. You, you want to be able to keep growing. So you need this part to keep this part growing. I'm building a fucking studio right now. So I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah, you're like, a maniac. I'm, I literally am building. We're building a studio like a mile from here to, to be able to shoot the cooking show, shoot the podcast shoot uh, so but my my thing is uh there was a guy who won ari sandel i think is his name he won short film like probably maybe eight years ago and he used the word remiss i'd never heard the word remiss i didn't run in suit i didn't run in circles of dudes who use the word remiss ever <laughs> and one of the things i said i asked my wife she goes it means he would really really regret if he didn't do this and i went oh i like that word and I said to myself at one point, I'd be remiss if I didn't make a movie in Hollywood. And so, so we, I sold the machine as a movie. Um, right. And so we're, we're making, we're developing that right now. And then, and then I was like, but I want to write one. Cause I believe I could, it's so hard to, it's so easy to do, tell a joke on stage and get a room of people to laugh. It is so hard to take a pen and write down a scene and then go, oh, this will be funny, and then shoot it and get people to fucking laugh. It's it also, so we, we, we have instant gratification when we're on stage. The second we say something, we find out if people find it funny or not. 
the the I remember the at the beginning especially, man, the most terrifying thing. First of all, I, I don't know if you've learned this from your experience here. Is my favorite moment ever of writing is when you're done, you have the script. I wrote something, I created, and nobody's fucking shit on it yet. It's just mine, and I'm like, oh, I created this world, these characters. I think it's funny. I really like this. And you give it to someone, and you're done for like a week while they read it, and it's heaven. It's yeah. fucking heaven. And yeah. then and then they're like, we love it. So here are notes, like 10 pages of notes. And you're like, and then like it becomes like, oh, like it hurts a little bit. I had to get good at being able to separate myself and understanding they're paying for this now. They own this. You know, if it's an indie and it's mine, like there's an indie I was supposed to direct, but then this happened that I wrote that I'm really happy with. But it's like for a studio movie, they need it. They bought it. They want it to fit their brand. So they're giving you notes to make it fit their brand. They're paying you. It is a job now. It is no longer your vision or passion it starts like that and then it turns into you know the the business person who bought it so but that beginning when i hand it in is my favorite i used to print it out and like go through it with a pen because i hated looking at the screen for so long and then like i would have it and hold it and be so proud send it to my send it to my parents so someone would read it (laughs) and then fucking uh whatever but then then you get notes and then it becomes like all right how do i do this and then it's you know it's sometimes fun but it's a lot of like it becomes a different type of job after that moment. What were the uh, what were the gems you could share? I'm sure you have like personal gems that you kind of want to hold on for yourself of moments you have with Billy Crystal. But what were some gems that you can share? Where you the, were like, he's the best. He's literally uh, he is the best, right? Yeah. He have is, you met him or no? No, 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 no. I'm getting compared to him right now because we have the same hair. Like my oh, hair beautiful is from uh, City Slickers. Oh, but, beautiful. Um, I he was incredible. Watched. He he was he's just like he's a legend to us, right? I mean, we came up yeah, him and Robin, him and Robin Williams. And by the way, talking about two people who love Letterman, you see him or Robin on a talk show, you watch. It's because yeah. he's fucking amazing. And I just saw him on Kimmel before all this happened, and he was so prepared. Like it made me feel foolish because I've done a bunch of talk shows by now, and when I get on there, it's just like I try to be in the moment and try to be funny. But he came on a Kimmel man, and he had jokes and he had bits, and he crushed. Yeah. And it just felt like an old school Carson way of doing it. And I loved watching him still because he was so fucking funny. Um, but he's just like, anytime we walk around anywhere, he's like, everybody knows who he is and all that stuff. And then we'll go to like, I went to a dinner of his once. Uh, it was a birthday dinner. We became, we become close because he's just, we just, there's a lot of similarities between us. And uh, I go to the dinner and at the dinner, it's fucking Rob Reiner, Martin Short, uh, Billy Crystal. And I'm like, Ey! you get like so <laughs> nervous. Um, but he's just, he's around legends. He is a legend. He's, he's a director, a writer, an actor. He's done Broadway. He's written songs. He's somehow done every comic relief raised millions before that was even a fucking thing. So he's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant human being. He really, he really is a a fascinating, I had this story. I I watched his latest, the last thing he did, which was a semi, I, I don't even know how far long ago it was, but he talked about losing his father. Was it 700 Sundays? Was it the Broadway thing or no? It might have been. Is that where he talked? I think so. Yeah, I think it was. He's in front of a house and he's kind of doing a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, his, he's just, he's just so good. He's, he's pretty incredible. It's pretty, yeah. it's incredible storytelling. And it's one of the things he said is, uh, one of the lines he told me is, never let them see you working. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. He's like, get you, be like, when you're, when you're on stage or when you're acting, don't let them see the fucking wheels turning and you try to figure shit out like when you're on stage or anything. Get your work done. Work so hard in the 10,000 hours before that when you're on stage, that people can't see you like 
So it's the same with your stand-up. You know what I mean? When you get on stage, you've worked on it for months. So when you're there, now it's time to fucking show it. You know what I mean? That's really interesting. I like that a lot. Like, don't let them see you working. Although I guess in our improv show, there's no choice but to see us working. <laughs> no, it's so, uh, it's it's. Uh, are you guys going to take that out and tour with that at, after this clears up? Middle Eastern Schwartz. Yeah. So we were touring with it before. So we did, uh, we did Chicago. I mean, theater. now, now I think it would, it would even be so I, much bigger. I wonder, are we, to be honest, we were afraid that nobody would care about it because improv sometimes people know what stand up is. People can look at Eddie Murphy, Richard Pryor. They can look at specials. They could see you start off in clubs and then you could, then you get a cooking show like Bert. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's like fucking people know that whatever, but for improv, there's been very few specials. I did one a while ago with uh, just a, a, not really just like it was house of lies. So it was like Cheeto and Kristen who aren't really improvisers, but are very funny people. And like, there's a TJ and Dave documentary who are two incredible improvisers from Chicago. And there's one more that, uh, ask cat, which was UCB. But in terms of like a special, um, there's, there's very few of them. So this, we're hoping that this could be the thing that people point to. Um, and it shows that if you start off in these small, by the way, we, I didn't get paid for improv. I did stuff at UCB till, you know, two years ago or three years ago, I started doing stuff at Largo. That's the first time I ever got paid for improv. So like, we're trying to show that you can tour with it. And not only can you tour with it, you can fucking, we did Chicago theater. We did Carnegie hall. We did the Met. Um, and then you could get a special. There's a chance you can get a special. Like these aren't things really? that happened before a standup one to ask, like, why do you guys explain it? Why do you explain it when you get on stage with improv is? I was like, because nobody knows what it is. Uh, Isla didn't. I, I mean, I don't, I, it was just Isla and I last night. And she, I don't think she was, a. I mean, she's also 13, but the idea of that it's all in the moment, I think she kept going, hold on. Anytime she'd laugh, she'd go, did they write that? And I go, no, baby, all of this is improv. Like it's the word improv. Like that's yeah. where it comes from. Yeah. He was like, oh, that's so fascinating. Do you remember, do you remember the first time that, do you remember the first time that you took off your shirt and you felt like that would be a stamp of how, like when that's almost like a. That's almost like I'm fucking here that moment. Do you remember and do you remember why? Do you remember the feeling what it was and why you continue to be like this is how I can this is how at the beginning at least or whatever. This is how I can show people who I am or no. I'm sure you've explained yeah. this before. No, 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 no. I uh I heard this uh, this is this is the closest I'll ever I've 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 not answered this properly ever. This is great then. This is the episode. The uh I when I first started stand up, I remember growing a beard I, I never had a beard in my life and someone said hey you're not you're not gonna be funny with a beard beards aren't funny and i was like what and they're like beards aren't funny and i said to, i was talking to patrice and i patrice o'neill oh yeah, yeah i used to watch him all the time he's brilliant i mean he was brilliant and he said patrice is a very uh very interesting guy really yeah and he <laughs> said you know yeah, man, white guys can't have beards. He uh, In the conversation we were having, he said, white guys can't have beards. I said, well, what's the difference? Why can black guys have beards? He goes, black guys can't have beards. Black guys can have mustaches. And I said, why can black guys have mustaches? He goes, well, if you're a black guy and you don't have a mustache, it means you're gay. And I, went, <laughs> I was like, really? And he was like, oh, yeah. And he goes, he goes, as a matter of fact, and he said this to me, he said, prior, in order to get ready for a special, he'd grow a beard. Same with Carlin because you're not funny with a beard. So they knew that if they grew the beard and their jokes worked with really? the beard, that they just shave it off, do the special and it was going to murder. And I went, really? But Carlin so, right. had a beard in one of his specials. So yeah, I know it fucking is Patrice anyway. <laughs> so this was 
this was something that was told to me at the Bag It Inn in 1998 that I registered. And it stuck with me forever because those little tricks, I've always loved tricks and things. So I go up and I used to rip my shirt off and then kill a beer and then I throw my shirt back on. It would get a laugh or whatever. One wait, time the, I wait, go wait, up. Tell us at the beginning. What, so what's the first time you did it? And did you do it on purpose or you I, just came out and I just, I just ripped it off and ripped it off. Play, place with nuts. I killed a beer. They're playing Black Betty by, uh, by Ram Jam. And I put it back on. I'd go on and do my show, right? I'd just do that and it would be like a, a moment where I'd do it. And sometimes I wouldn't, but sometimes I would. And then one night I'm at the Columbus Funny Bone. And I rip it off. I kill a beer. And something happens in the audience where it's in the moment. And we start fucking around with that. And I forget to put my shirt on. And like 15 minutes goes by. And I, I, I start interacting. And I go, oh, shit, I don't I have my shirt off. And I went to grab it. And this woman goes, keep it off. And I went, what? She goes, keep it off. And they laughed. So I did my whole show with my shirt off. And then a comic I respected said, you did a whole show with your shirt off. And no one noticed. Like, no one gave a fuck. He said, can you imagine how good that show would have been if you just had your shirt on that would have murdered. I mean, you had like a hindrance in my stupid fucking brain. All I heard was that's like Richard Pryor and George Carlin growing a beard. I thought if I do stand up on the road at these funny bones with my shirt off, that when I go to do a special, well, I'll put on a shirt and I'm going to be 10 times funnier because I will have worked this material with a handicap being shirtless. Then I went to go shoot and with a beard. Yeah. Yeah. And then I go to shoot the special and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm super uncomfortable in a shirt. I've been doing stand-up for nine years with my shirt off. I was like, I can't do it with a shirt. And Showtime's like, that's the biggest mistake you could ever make. You're literally giving a reason pe for people to change the channel. And I was like, really? And they're like, I have a feeling that people will see you take your shirt off and go, uh, no thanks, and change the channel. And they were 100% right. I had the lowest rated uh, Showtime special. Is that true? Ever had. <laughs> now, adversely, adversely, when the machine story went viral, my shirt's off for no fucking reason. Like, it, no one sees me rip it off. It's just a 13-minute clip of me shirtless telling a story about getting involved with the Russian mafia. People love the story and didn't need an explanation for why my shirt's off. They just go, oh, the shirtless guy. They, it, all, the, all the math that you would do in watching someone rip a shirt off was now removed, and they just said, the guy with his shirt off tells the good story. That's what we like. And then... All of a sudden, I became branded as the shirtless guy. People would come up and they'd be like, oh, you're the shirtless guy. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And so what is your reaction to that? Because that essentially was not something you were trying to do. It was not my intention. And you've embraced it. So are so what was your reaction to it? And why did you embrace it? Because you're like, fuck it. Now at least I have a little stamp. As, uh, it, was, it wasn't until I started doing theaters, I think, and I would take my shirt off and you'd hear, you know, fucking thousands of people cheer like scream where it and and you know the effect the reason i would rip you my still shirt kill off, a beer no i i don't i don't <laughs> i don't i'd be dead um <laughs> i would the whole reason i took my shirt off in the very 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 first time just as a as like rip it off put it back on was to cheer myself up the way that you would run or letterman mm -hmm. would run it was to cheer myself up because sometimes you'd miss your family it would be a thursday night an early friday show and you'd be like, I don't have it in me tonight. And, but if I rip my shirt off, I would feel silly. And I would feel like, oh, my God, fucking lighten up. You just tell jokes. You have the greatest job in the world. And now when I take my the last time I took my shirt off was at uh, Constitution Hall. Two shows, late show Sunday, 
rip my shirt off. 4,000 people lose their fucking oh. mind. And it makes me giggle the way I intended the first time. I just go, this is so silly, man. Like, I'm getting paid to tell jokes. Fucking have a good time. It's it's such a, a lighten. Like, it really just makes me giggle. The thing that I love also about that is that I did a show with Showtime. I love David Nevins. He let me do this House of Lies live thing, but it didn't turn into a show. But he did let me try to do this House of Lies live. Is that you were told not to do it. You did it for Showtime, and it fucking bombed. They were right. <laughs> And then you somehow proved them wrong. And that is now the thing that people, that's like the Pavlovian response when they see a comedian take their shirt off. They'll be like, fuck you, Bert does that. It's like, that's amazing. I remember there was a woman from Showtime. Her name was Helen. And she was, she was awesome, man. She told I me. Love, Showtime has been so kind to me, man. They've I been great. I, I, I have no bad words. I, Gary Garfinkel was a very, very sweet man. He's since passed. And he was, the, he was the, I loved him. And Helen was backstage at my taping for the machine. And she said, so now are you going to do both with your shirt off? And I said, we were filming too. I said, well, yeah, probably. And she goes, well, what if we did one with our shirt on and then one with the shirt off? And I thought. But then I you go, can't yeah, edit between think, the shows. Hey, we're not going to be able to edit between the shows. She goes, I know, but then we'll have options. And I went, <laughs> I went, I think I'm going to do it with my shirt off. She goes, okay, I'm just going to put this out there. She wasn't being a dick or anything. She goes, I'm just going to put this out there. Like. It may be a reason people change the channel because they're going to see you and be like, that's not, I'm not really attracted to that. And like, and I was like, I don't know what to do. We're kind of backed into a corner. <laughs> I love that story. So what's, so how's quarantine been for you? It's good. I get anxious every now and then sleeping very poorly. Ever since it got hot here, I'm sleeping even worse. Yeah. But, um, I, because we've been doing press for Millich and Schwartz and I always script, I always script someplace. So my time is kind of like, uh, Every day I kind of work for the majority of the day and that's great until I fucking remember something or I watch, I watch or I look or read an article about the counts or you know what I mean? All that stuff. And yeah. it bums me out, man. I, I, I am, I am prone to be like, if something's out there to make me anxious, I'll jump onto that. So just yeah. like if someone's saying great things about our special up, I'm the one person to be like, Oh, bummer. <laughs> but it's like, um, although we've been so lucky, everybody's been so kind about this special. But so for this, it's been, it's been like there'd be times where I just forget because your brain has to, to deal with this. You kind of have to not think about it all day or you'll just, that's all you'll do. It's a so, beautiful time to have for both of us. I think both our specials came out at a great time because I know for a fact, I, I am looking for distractions and, yes. and right now nighttime is rough for me because I'm good with wake up coffee, treadmill, podcast, radio, podcast, See? jump in the pool, get a snack. I'm so good with everything, but man, come like four o'clock, five o'clock. I, and I'm not drinking. I haven't been drinking, uh, this, uh, just because I'm like, I'm like, I don't think that's conducive to being healthy and being prepared. <laughs> yeah, for it's just you and your kids. Why? There's no point. <laughs> just opening a bottle of Jack and going, come on, we're watching improv, honey. <laughs> so, um, so like the night times have been tough for me. Like I've been sleeping. How does that manifest itself? Just, what is when something's tough for you? What does that mean? How does, what does nighttime do to you? Uh, scrolling, I get. We call it scrolling in my house, where I feel like every five minutes I'm doing this, like yeah, on my phone yes, or, yes, or, yes, or going to the closet to see, like, oh, do we have any Nature Valley granola bars? And go and and my daughters make fun of me as I literally walk in to the living room. I'm like, so what are we watching tonight? And they're like, mm -hmm. as soon as they see, they call these skipper fingers. They go, as soon as we see skipper fingers, Dad's scrolling. Uh, I agree. I find myself on Twitter too much. Twitter and I, I'm off Twitter right now. I'm I'm not. We stopped uh, it. 
I, well, right now I had a fucking little, I had a joke go sideways on me and I was, and I, and I, and by the way, it, it was not, it was never, there was no ill intention, nor do I think it should have had ill intention. It just got, I think there's a lot of negativity right now in the world and it's finding its way on the internet. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to fucking hop out for a little bit. I know a lot of people who kind of, uh, left Twitter. Um, are you on Instagram and all that stuff still? I'm a big Instagram guy. That's what it is. I feel like that's a big one right now. A lot of my friends are like doing Insta stories all the time. Yeah. I just, it's about push content for me. I don't need to pull content. What does that mean? What is push content? Push content. Like I, I'll, I'll, I can, it cheers me up to like record myself. Hey, I just got, I'm putting in an outdoor shower. Here we go, guys. You know, like, Hey, I'm on the treadmill. Uh, hey, this is what I'm making for dinner. Let's see me and the girls, but pulling content where I'm like, let's see what they're up to. Uh-uh, that's fucking. Oh, that's interesting. I don't need that. That's interesting. I don't need that at all. But, you ever go on that dude, surfboard behind your bird or no? I've never been. Do you surf? No, never. It's either you love that or you just want a team choice award and you're just showing it off. It's uh, one by of the, the way, I have a, I have a flip-flop uh, line coming out and the people who, I know, I know. I'm a fucking hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. Never listen to me talk about myself ever. I I'm love it. I'm a fucking phony. The, uh, uh, the company, Freewater, gave me that surfboard. That is my the logo right there is the logo on my flip-flop and that's a channel island surfboard but I, i've surfed a couple times but I, I i'm not ready to use that board i've never done it i gotta do it um dude this has been fucking amazing i oh, really you're the best it was I such a kind it. fun chat dude i could talk to you i could literally talk to you for hours if you have ever have any 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 anything you want to promote as no matter big or small Please, yeah. by all means. By the way, I can come. We're doing Space Force. I'm on this TV show with Steve. Oh, Charles. oh I so, tried to get a fucking copy of Space Force. I, did I, I send it to you? You're over at IDP, right? Uh, I'm at ID, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hit up Jillian. She's yesterday. the best. She's by, the best. By the way, Jillian is the greatest. She's I the greatest. Jillian. Yeah, she's amazing. I hope she, she's yeah, watching this. I hit up, I hit them up trying to get a copy. So when Space Force comes out, and they're allowed to release copies. I'd love to watch it, have you on, talk about it again, sure, man. promote the fuck out of it. I I can't tell you. I'm very happy for you. You're doing so well, and it seems I, like everybody loves you, and you're, I you're can't still maintaining you. your family and everything. It makes me very proud. I can't tell you, man, how. I, I know you know this, but if you ever are caught up reading negative comments or, or you're questioning anything, know from my point of view, and I need to share this with you, you are fucking so funny. You make me laugh so hard. You really do. I, it, I, you have so much material on YouTube for anyone listening that can go. Just all you have to do is type in fucking uh, best of uh, uh, one. earlier show. No, what's the what's the CD? Uh, oh, comedy Parks bang, and bang. What's Park, Parks John and Ralphio? John John Ralphio is the fun, the funniest fucking character. Just type in that. So. Dude, thank you for doing this. Congratulations uh, on the so special. I'm so happy we did this. This is like our second or third time ever talking. It makes me so happy that we did. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Congrats. Continued success. And like I said, please, 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 anything you want to promote, I'm an open avenue. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Best of luck right. with everything. Take care, man. Stay safe. Tell Isla I say thank you for watching. <laughs> She'll get excited hearing that. Great. <laughs> Hi, buddy. Fun. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.